again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. I've been away for the last couple of weeks, and so we moved out of a series. If you're new with us, I'm going to catch you up to date. Uh, If you have been with us, this will be again a bit of review. Uh, The uh, series that we're in is called The Story, and uh, the story is the gospel, the, uh, the good news as it's often called. We're actually examining some very intricate details and issues regarding this thing called the story by looking at a teaching of Jesus. It is in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, Luke 15, uh, our text has been verses 1 through 32 where there are three parables. Here's the background. Jesus is talking to a group of people known as scribes and Pharisees. They are the good people of the day. They are the religious elite. They're the ones that are in close communion with God at least as perceived by good people. Jesus is talking to them knowing that there couldn't be anything further than the truth that these people weren't in close relationship with God. Is going to use three parables, the third of which has been misnamed through the years, the parable of the prodigal son. It's the story of two sons, but one is the younger son, the prodigal, and the elder son, the older son is the religious person that really is the focus of the attention of this parable. Here's why. The context will always help understand the text. Jesus is talking to the good guys, perceived good guys, scribes, Pharisees. He's trying to show them themselves. And so he tells the story. We've read it numerous times. I'm going to tell it again. I've told it several times. I invite you to be reading through your text if you would like, even as I tell. But here's the story. Younger son, rebellious son, comes to the father. I want my inheritance. He gets his inheritance. Father gives it to him. He goes into a distant land and he squanders his possessions. It's called loose living in the text. He loses all of his money. It's gone. He finds himself having to do something that no young Jewish boy would ever want to do, and that's to feed swine. He has no food. He's actually eating the food that he's feeding the swine. And he thinks to himself, how foolish. I ought to go back to my father And just tell him, hey, I made a big mistake, and would you hire me as one of your hired hands? At least I'll have the necessities of life. So he chooses to do that. As he's seen in the distance by the father, as he's coming home, the father announces to those that are under his charge, prepare for a great banquet. We're going to celebrate. My son has come home. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to get a robe. I want you to put it on his his back. Uh, Sandals, put them on his feet. Give him a ring, put it on his finger. Then when he shows up, when he gets close enough, the father embraces him and he kisses the son, welcoming him home. And then they begin the big celebration. Well, here's the really, the big aha that 
Jesus is trying to make clear to the scribes and Pharisees. He says simply this, prepare the celebration, the music starts, the elder brother hears the music and asks, what's that stuff all about? Oh, you hadn't heard? Your younger brother, he's come home. He's back. Your dad is celebrating his return. Now, you can imagine how the elder brother would take that. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. You never celebrated me. I never took your possessions. I never went off and squandered them. I haven't lived loosely like my younger brother. You've never celebrated me. Why would you celebrate him? And the father responds and he says this, ah, but he was dead and he's been made alive. He's lost. Now he's been found. And the thrust of all three parables that begin this chapter, that fill this chapter, all the design of this is really to teach the one major, major, major point, and that is that God welcomes people. He loves to see those who are lost to be saved, and in so doing, to help people understand who is lost and who needs to be saved. Now, with that, we're answering four questions in the series. We're now beginning the fourth question, but I'm going to just review, just give you the, the question, quick answer to the questions that the texts are addressing. Number one, what is the gospel? We initially began, what is the gospel? We explained what the counterfeit gospel was and then gave the authentic one. If you want to take gospel, I want you always to keep hearing this. The gospel is not so simplistic that you can make it in three statements. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to simplify it by doing that. If you want to know the whole gospel, it's the story of what God has done for us through Jesus, beginning at the birth all the way through the ascension and reign of Jesus. And we could never cover all that he's done. But all of that is by his grace. It truly is by his grace. It is God's gift to us. That's called the gospel, the good news. I tried to make it as simple as possible by using the three little statements we, mankind, lost it all. He, Jesus Christ, did it all. We, his true followers, get it all. We get his full righteousness. So that was number one. Then we looked at question number two. Question number two is, who needs the story? At this point, Jesus is going to begin to redefine certain things. He's got to redefine sin to answer this question. Because sin was viewed as simply, oh, okay, uh, sin is, is, is basically when you, you know, break rules. There's sin. Jesus is going to say, no. Breaking the rules, yes, but it's more than that. It's leaving home. That's why you break rules. You leave home. And so he makes it real clear, hey, it's not just the bad people who have left home. Good people have left home. So the counterfeit version would say, well, bad people, they're sinners. Jesus says, no, also good people, bad and good people. So he redefines sin. Third question, who will embrace the story? The last two weeks we've given to address this question. Now Jesus is going to redefine repentance. He's going to say repentance is not simply admitting you're wrong. It's not simply even being remorseful, but actually repentance is coming home to the Father. That's what real repentance is. It's coming home 
to the Father. Now, this week we began, and I don't know if it'll go next week and the following, or we'll summarize it all next week, but I know we've got more than this week, but we're going to begin this week looking at question number four, which is, what happens to those who embrace the story? It's during this that we're going to see Jesus redefine for us three things. First, today we'll look at the first of the three. He is going to redefine for us the nature of God. In the text, we see sight of the teachings of all of God's Word, and particularly in the New Testament, to understand the nature of God. We have to understand that. We're also going to see in this text, and then illustrated throughout Scripture, also he's going to redefine what it means to relate to God. What does it mean to be in relationship with Him? And then lastly, we're going to see how He is going to redefine man's moral worth. Now, that's a lot. You, know, you won't remember all that. I don't care. You do need to know this, though. What I just mentioned in the redefining that Jesus is going to do is going to take us to a level deeper than the superficial life that most Christians live on. Most Christians live with this mindset. If I want to grow as a Christian, then all I need to do is learn better what God says to do and not to do, and then start as best as possible doing the things that God says to do and stopping the things I shouldn't do, and that's the Christian growth experience. That is not what causes us to grow. Not at all. He's going to reverse all of this in our understanding. But I want you to know this before we get into the text, that it is often the deeper elements, it's the roots of why there may be the expressions that we are to do and not to do. But it's down in the roots, and that's what Jesus is redefining. In other words, until, as we learn today, until we understand the nature of God, we're not going to be able to, to truly grow. If we don't understand who God is in his nature, I will promise you, as we start saying, okay, this is what God says, this is not to do, and now I'm going to do it, and I'll try. We'll say, okay, I'm living the, the religious experience, but I'm not relating to God. And I want to say to you that are in discipleship, I want you to know there's been much, much, much labor in the development, development of the tools that we use, the very journey, as we call it, that we're going to be finding ourselves in each year that you're in discipleship digging into those levels and that's where you're going to stay and you're going to find something happens up here because you've been fed the truth in an appropriate way and equipped accordingly so you're in for a great year this year I will assure you but know that it's not just the simple this is what God says this is what we do now we're okay now one last quick review thing I want to say. I haven't said it for a few weeks. That is this, that I encourage you still, get the book by Tim Keller, The Prodigal God. It is the best writing. Uh, when it came out seven, eight years ago, I don't know. I read that. Boy, it impacted me. What I'm teaching you has been because of the impact that uh, he was able to give. I've told Tim on occasions, this is, boy, you just don't know how helpful this has been to the Christian world. And you can get far more and better by simply reading that book. But I'll be drawing stuff out, obviously, that are important things that will apply to us at this season, where we are and what we're doing. But I encourage you, get that book. Now, the question, so what happens to those who embrace the truth? Here's the answer. 
we become new. There's the answer. When we embrace the story, we become new. And we continually experience the kiss of the Father. The counterfeit gospel says, oh, you become better. That's all you do. You, you, you encounter what's not the real gospel, and what you can hope on is you'll just do better and be better and do better and be better. No. What's going to happen is we become new, and as a result of becoming new, we can become better. I want to show you our text. It's at verse 20, and we're going to be alluding to this, uh, particularly at the end of the message, but uh, it says, So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. There's a lot in that text, but I want to hold that for a minute and look at one other text. The Apostle Paul writes as he discusses this, what happens when you embrace the story. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it reads like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What are we talking about? We become new, old, past, new, come. What is that? Well, when you become new, which means you have come home, you've come to the Father, you've, embraced, you've been embraced by him and his kiss, He's given you all the things that we mentioned from the ring to the, to the sandals and so forth. When all that really takes place, at that point, that's when we are made new. And then things change. Well, what changes? New desires, new heart for sure, uh, new interests about what I'm concerned about. I mean, new, new, new. The list just goes on and on and on. New passions. I know when I became a Christian, I was confused. I thought I was a Christian, then I was exposed to the fact that maybe I'm not a Christian. I thought, well, I want to become a Christian, and then I made a prayer to become a Christian. I went through everything I thought, and I had a, a man that was kind of helping me there, and and, uh, and he, I said, well, I don't know. I've, I've prayed the prayer. I've done the thing. I think I've given my heart to Jesus. I don't know, but, but uh, I, I, is that it? But nothing's happened. I don't feel any different. And he said, no, no, no. If so, it, let me tell you, either you become new or not. He didn't use those words, but he said, if you've become a Christian, this he did say, if you've become a Christian, you're going to know it. And how will I know that? You're going to change. How am I going to change? Well, new desires, new interests, New commitments, new beliefs. It's going to be a lot of changes. He said, the way you'll know is if you don't change, then you've not really become a Christian. But if you find something new, then you know that's... And you know, he told me, he said, wait for two weeks, month, a month and a half. Just see. See if there's anything different. And boy, I remember this. Two things. Peace that I'd never had. So where'd that peace come from? That's new. Man. Second thing. Assurance that when I died, I'd be okay. Not perfect assurance, but I had no assurance. And now all of a sudden, I'm going, you know what? I think if I die, I'm okay. Well, what is, that's new. It's something God does to me that makes me new, that creates me becoming better. Very important to know the order of how that works. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to look over these next weeks, three descriptions of this new person. So here's the one we look at this week. I'll put it up. Number one. Those who embrace the story know their Heavenly Father 
as he really is. I want to pick up now as we're talking about the nature of God, verse, verses we just looked at beginning at verse 20. I've already read this verse where he kissed him. Now let's go to 21. It says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. This is the younger son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's come to life again. He was lost, he has been found, and they began to celebrate. Now, from this point, I want us to just simply look at two truths. These are two truths about God, and I want each of us to do an evaluation of kind of where we see ourselves according to these. And, and nobody's going to know, so why not be honest with yourself? This first one, the vast majority of us are going to say, oh yeah, I got that, I believe that. Really? I want you to ask hard question. Do I kind of believe it up here, but not so sure that it resonates deep within me? Do I embrace it with great conviction, with unusual embrace, or is it, eh, I kind of think probably so? Because this is going to make a difference. And here it is, number one. God is always ready to forgive repentant sinners. Well, of course he's always ready to forgive repentant sinners. Or do we really think that if I really come back hard, and show enough evidence of being better, then at that point, I think the acceptance of God becomes greater? Do we deep down have a little bit of that seated within us? If so, it will ruin the Christian experience. We'll never really fully comprehend what God has really done for us. So, the scribes and the Pharisees, the good guys, much like Catholics and Protestants today of many, many types, have this idea. If I clean up, God will accept me. Jesus comes along, he reverses it. No, 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 no. I accept you. That's what's going to enable you to clean up. By the way, parents, parents, we need to learn from this lesson. The, Jesus was certainly not trying to give a, a, a teaching for parents in this text. But I think it would be just of wisdom here to stop a moment and say, this is true also of parenting. Some of us think, well, as kids, we grew up and this is what, maybe some of our kids here are thinking this too, you know, if I get it right, if I do it good, if, I, if I'm obedient like they want me, if I do what they... If I accomplish what they want me to accomplish, they seem to accept me. As opposed to, you know what, I'm not accomplishing, I'm not doing everything, I'm not all, I know that they want me to be, but I know they accept me. Acceptance has to begin the process. In our faith, it's our acceptance with God that begins the process. Who does he receive? Repentant people. That's why we had to study what is repentance. Now, in light of this idea, 
maybe you see it through an example with our family. When, uh, when our youngest, uh, David, was coming up, he, he became the younger brother, uh, not just literally, but in this use of younger brother, he became the younger brother. He kind of went out and loose living and did his thing about midway through high school, midway through college. Carol and I had had discussions uh, earlier in our parenting of now we don't know our kids, where they're going to turn out. Some may be elder brother types. Some may be, um, you know, younger brother types. Now, which one, if we have to choose, which do we want? Well, we were clear. We knew the one we wanted was we wanted elder brothers. (laughs) Don't you? They obey. They stay there. They're kind. They do the stuff you tell them to do. Good. But we said, but we know the truth is, no, we need to truly want, if we have to choose, we should choose the younger brother. The elder brother's worse off, so we'd rather have the one worse, not the one worse off. So we kind of walked through that, at least academically. Then we got a younger brother. <laughs> now we're going, wow. But you know, as we were doing a, a discussion at a, um, a vacation time, and the kids were now young adults, and we were discussing things about our lives and and it came out in a discussion. We were in Florida, if I remember correctly, and, and um, kind of a, a post-conversion analysis of, of David's situation. And David made this statement. I'll never forget. He was making a statement. He said, you know, uh, during that time, you, you know, certainly you punished me for things I shouldn't do and consequences, da-da-da-da, and I know you hated it, this, that, and the other. But one thing I never could get away from, and that was you guys accepted me. You loved me. I just couldn't get away from that. That's kept kind of holding on to me. I said, I know know they're so disappointed, but they accept me. Well, I'm sure we were far from accepting as strongly as we could have and should have, but let me tell you, parents, take a lesson from this whole idea of God's ways. Acceptance. Oh, disappointment. Consequences, yes, but acceptance, so critically, critically important. Do you know in the Eastern culture, you and I wouldn't know this, but in the Eastern culture, do you know what the kiss represented? It was a pledge of forgiveness. Well, wait, the son had just come. I mean, all he'd done is say, hey, Dad, I, I did the wrong deal. Okay, hug, kiss, put a ring on his finger, put it, put it. What? Oh, yeah, the, it was a pledge, it, it simply a pledge of forgiveness. Do you know what the sandals represented? It represented freedom. You're not a slave. No, you're not the hired hand. No, 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 you come home as my son. Here's some sandals. Wait, wait, wait. Freedom? Do you know what the ring or the robe represented? The robe represented honor. It was a sign of honor. The kid had done nothing honorable, but he gets honored having done nothing to be honorable. Do you know that God gives us his righteousness before we've done anything that's been good, meriting, or warranting it? He gives us his righteousness so that we can be good. Amazing. Well, he does, it illustrates it here with this sign of honor, the ring. Listen to this. You know what the ring is? It's a sign of inheritance. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's already gotten his inheritance. He's blown it. It's gone. Now, I don't know, but it seems to me that when he has a sign of inheritance coming, then probably maybe what's left is now going to be divided again. 
How do you think elder brother felt about that? He's saying, are you kidding me? He took his half and lost it. Don't take what's mine. Wait till we get to the bigger redemptive story and see what Jesus did. But the story is simply to say, God welcomes home those who are repentant. And he does it believing that, you know what, I'll, I'll receive anybody that comes home. Are there any of you here now that think, God's not going to take me, not after what I've done. Man, I've lost my chance. I've done my... Listen, quick thinking that. That is just simply not true. It is not true. I just, if I could leave one statement before I move to the last little point here, and that is this. Would you just understand the Word of God teaches this? You matter to Him. You matter to Him. You repent. You come home. He's going to accept you. Don't ever say, oh, no, I've, I've done this. I had an abortion. I did that. No, God's not. Don't you believe it? It's not true. He receives you. Let's look at the last point. The second truth, God seeks for his loss in wise and varying ways. Another description of the Father, wise and varying ways. He knows what's best for each of us. In this story, you can just kind of imagine this is just a parable. It's not a true story. But you can just imagine what the Father has done and maybe why he does what he does. Let me give you three different ways that he, uh, uh, that he seeks for his lost. The first, sometimes he quietly waits for the consequences of our sins to bring us to our senses. That's his way sometimes. He could have said to his son, his younger son, hey, you're not getting your inheritance. You're staying right here. No way you can squander it. No way you can get out there and, and live the way you want to live. No, 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 I'm stopping you. But the, in my own words, I would say, I think he chose probably uh, what would be the, the um, uh, maybe the, the, the lesser of hard ways. Maybe because in the sense he knew this is what he needs. If I hold him at home and I let him just, I, I protect him, I can't, no, no, you can't do this, you can't. He says, no, no, no. It would be the, it would be the, uh, the lesser way or maybe the lesser risk. Look at Jeremiah 2.19. I love this. It says, your own wickedness will correct you and your apostasies will reprove you. That's what happened to this young son. He goes out, he sees his wicked ways, he sees his loose living and he goes, oh my goodness. What have I done? And he comes home. My, uh, my father uh, died many years ago. I told a little bit of the story of my father earlier in this series. I'll pick up on it. He was, uh, uh, thought he was a, a good man, Christian, kind of a board of whatever in the church. And, but, man, I tried to witness to him, and he didn't need any more of Jesus. He had enough. He went to church. He did his thing. There was just nothing. Dead, flat line. I knew he was not a Christian. Had somebody come witness to him. Didn't do any good. He got mad. I mean, it's just like, no, 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 no. So finally, finally, I came to the point, and I said, Lord, I think, I don't know what it's going to take, but I want to see him come to faith. He said, I said, Lord, would you strip him? That was my thing. Would you strip him of everything? Take everything from him so he has to see. Well, he had a moral failure. As a result of that, he left our home and family, gone. 
I got to talk to him by phone on somewhat regular occasion only because I called him but I would call him but I'll never forget this I was talking to him after his moral failure and all this stuff and this is what he told me over the phone he said you know what I must not have ever been a Christian to do what I did I guess I, I guess I maybe maybe wasn't but he said I think I've become a Christian now now I tell you this I never saw fruit that says oh I know my father is now in heaven but I'll tell you for sure if I see my father in heaven it's going to be because God in his goodness used the consequences of his own sin to show him his awful need of God. No doubt about it. Do you know, that's the same way with us. And so I want to ask, I want to ask some of you right now that are away from home, whether you've ever been at home, but you're away from home. You're not in the arms of a loving father. Any of you right now seeing the consequences of your sin? Some of you right now, maybe without knowledge of your spouse having an affair? Any of you now saying, I'm doing this and I can get away with it, it's going to be good. But now at the same time, you're beginning to feel something that is so hard inside you say, I need to come home. You come on home. And don't you dare think, I can't because I've done something too bad. It is not true. Let's look at number two, a different way. Sometimes he uses bitter circumstances to bring us to our senses. Uh, the famine, there was a famine. Now, we know the Father represents God, and there's going to read into the text things the text was not intended to be saying, but, but it, it, it really was bitter circumstances that so impacted this young man that he says, I'm coming home. I'm just going to come home. Augustine called it the stern discipline of divine mercy. Some author I read years ago, I don't remember who it was, he called it the velvet brick. I like that, the velvet brick. And my mother would tell you, uh, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, 90 years of age, and uh, she says that she became a Christian after my father left. It so devastated her, the circumstances. I mean, it just broke her, and she would point to that being the point of when that happened. I have a brother who is now in heaven. My brother, uh, eight years, seven, eight years ago, passed away. But I'm telling you this, now here, I'm the preacher. I won't tell you all he did. But, I mean, he didn't go to church. He didn't, he didn't want me talking to him about spiritual things. Nothing. I mean, he is totally out there. And, uh, but then, I don't know, a year or two before he died, his, he, lost his, he lost his wife. He lost his home, he lost his business, he lost his health. And he said, brother, what should I do? Pointed him to a disciple-oriented church, and a man in the church took him under the wing and discipled him, put him in a little group, and he joined the church and began serving in that church until he passed away. Boy, bitter circumstances. God's velvet brick, but let me tell you, it is a precious gift. So let me ask you, any of you here right now, just, it's just circling. I know you're not into bad, bad stuff that's causing all this horrible thing, but, but at the same time, God's just using hardship to say, I have nothing but you, God. Come on home. That's what he wants, just come on home. Thirdly, lastly, sometimes his kindness alone brings us to our senses. Look at Romans 2, 4 says, do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness, 
and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads us, leads you to repentance? Boy, you know, this son, again, we can't read into the text. It's just making a major point. But the, to use the storyline there, look at that son. You know, the son in reality, were that a true story, he wouldn't come home unless he believed in the kindness of his father. He didn't believe in the kindness enough, though, because he didn't assume, okay, so receive me back as a son. No, he thought he'll receive me back as a hired hand. But let me tell you, if he didn't know the kindness of the father, he wouldn't dare come home and say, here I am, I just threw away all your goods, and this happened, that happened. Not at all. It wouldn't happen. That's my story. It was the kindness of God that led me to repentance. I wasn't going through all these moral issues, and I wasn't going through all these bitter circumstances. I didn't have that. But I did see the kindness of God that leads to repentance. God has his ways. And I'm going to suggest to you that are parents, let's take a page out of this and learn. There are times where we need, we very much need, to, to use a different and varying way. I had a, a man in this church, I have a man in this church, one of the great business leaders in Atlanta, awarded as such through the various awards he's gotten. And uh, I was spiritually mentoring him and helping him in the faith years ago and coming along in the faith and now just very devoted to the Lord. And, but he, uh, he shared with me a story. He said, I had a, I have a guy in our business and he, we found out he's, he's stealing money, thousands and thousands of dollars. We have it documented. He said, you know what I did? I said, what? He said, I called him in. I said, we got proof. You know what you've done. We know what you've done. I can send you to jail. But I said, you're never going to do that to me again. I'm not going to send you to jail, and you're never going to do that to me again. And he said, you know why? Because I'm going to make you a vice president of this company. I looked at him, what? Making you a vice president. You'll never do that again. Now, this man would quickly say, I fired my share of people that would do that. This guy, I call it redemptive management. You've got to make a decision. Sometimes, sometimes you say, I've just got to show justice. That's the only way this person is going to learn. Same with kids. Sometimes you say, you know what? It's going to be mercy. I'm going to show incredible mercy, and that's what's going to make you learn. I just sense this is the best. And sometimes we're not God. God knows and does the exactly right thing. We do things, and we think this might be best. We have to give it a shot. But know this, whether we use justice or whether we use mercy, we always do it in the environment of acceptance. We don't accept what they've done. We accept them. Same way with parenting. Accept your children. It doesn't mean that you accept what they've done, that there's no consequences, no justice. Sometimes it's justice, sometimes it's mercy. We have to decide, but do it always under the umbrella of acceptance. Let me close with this. So what happens to those who embrace this story? They become new and continuously experience the kiss of the Father. I will assure you, no one here will really know and experience the continual kiss of the Father unless we know the nature of our Father. Don't believe as the scribes and Pharisees. God is unmerciful toward bad people. He's just toward good people. Oh, no, he's not. The truth is this. He's merciful to bad people who repent. He is just with those who see themselves as good but don't repent.
Have you experienced the kiss of the Father? I'll tell you, the transforming power of unconditional love is life-changing. And the way you'll know that you probably have experienced the kiss is you'll see the things that God does that you just do not understand. And you say, God, why would you allow that to happen to me or to my loved one? You'll see what God does to other people and some of the cruel things that God in his sovereignty has allowed to happen. And you'll say, I don't get that. If you don't know the experience of God's love, you'll say, I don't get it, and it ain't right, and I don't want to be with a God who does that. But when you've experienced the kiss of the Father, you'll say, I don't understand his ways, and man, I don't get this, and I don't get it. But you know what? I know this much. It's not because God is not loving. It's not because God is not just. I just don't know. But I know this much. I've been convinced by the kiss of the Father. What is the kiss of the Father? The kiss of the Father is Calvary's cross. You go to it, you see the kiss of the Father. I mean, to die, to send his son to die. And then here's the, here's the most amazing thing. Here's the great, bigger picture truth. The reality is, you and I have all squandered our possessions, right? We've taken what God's given us and gone our own way. And what Jesus has done as our elder brother is he meets the demand of justice on our behalf. And then, you know what else happens? As a result of that, he gives us his inheritance. Here's what we're called, joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. Meaning that I, like Christ, am an heir of all that God has. And it, if what he gives to Jesus is mine and mine... How do I get that? It's because I've been made new. Why was I made new? Because God chose to make me new. And he worked his love in my life and wooed me to him. Oh, my goodness. You don't think that'll overwhelm you? I'll tell you this. You've got to be new. Continually experience the kiss of the Father. Be sure you know the nature of God the Father or you won't believe his kisses. You see his kisses. You experience his kisses then your relationship with God, it begins to be what you always wanted. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know the Christian life is never as we would assume. We understand that you're not what we assume. But we want to use your word and come closer and closer to the likeness of understanding who you really are and what you really do and why you do it and how you do it. And so, Father, we pray that we might, wherever we are in life, find ourselves right now just sensing your kiss and finding ourselves saying, I'm coming home. Lord, lead us back into your loving arms. May we find you enough and may you transform us to be better even because you've made us new. Grant it, we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.